So today we're going to look at what we often call the parable of the talents, but it's really also the parables we're going to see of the servants. And so we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk a little bit about what God was doing, what was happening in the world in this time as Jesus is giving the people a vision of this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, as he's been talking about. And it's a vision that he wants to use to unite all the people in their hearts and in their souls on what God has sent him to do as Messiah. And it's true that as Jesus taught, as we've seen through these weeks, no one's sure what to do with him, with what he's teaching, with what he's doing what he's saying, what he's about. People, are, they're trying to make sense of it. The religious leaders are upset about it. The, the people, particularly those who felt far away, are drawn in and they're captivated by it. But yet they, they're struggling to understand it. And could God really have a plan to redeem everyone? Could he really have a way to connect with everyone? And Jesus, towards this final stage of his ministry, he's focusing the people on what is yet to be. Not just what is happening now, but what is happening now, what will happen at the cross, and what that means for what will come after. The redemption of mankind, the destruction of sin, the consequences of repentance for those who do repent and for those who don't repent. The conclusions to the parables that we've been looking at are they're pretty staggering. They're difficult to understand if you really think about it. Consider just the last two, if you've been part of this series, what we've been learning about. We learn about both a common wedding and also a royal wedding, and both come to similar conclusions. Very different groups of people, different circumstances, yet the conclusions are similar, where many find themselves in this eternal celebration representing the kingdom of redemption, that is yet to come, that second coming Jesus is teaching about, and yet there are others who find themselves outside of those celebrations. And the language used here, it's loss, eternal torment, endless despair. These are concepts of hell and judgment in Scripture that we honestly don't like to think about. And I understand that, but as we study what Christ felt was of paramount importance during his final days on earth. We see this idea is being impressed upon the people from Jesus's teaching time and time again. Life has eternal consequences just as we are eternal beings and God has a plan to redeem us eternally. If we would only come to accept the righteousness and grace that he offers us through Jesus Christ. God has plans for us, and they're good plans, and they're meant to save us. And in light of what's happening in our world today, it's important that we recognize that. But yet, as we will see today, and as we hear Jesus teaching about in these parables time and time again, we are accountable to both recognize and respond. We're accountable to recognize and to respond to God's grace to his plan of redemption. And we're going to see that plan. It's manifest. And Jesus is going to teach us about that. We're going to turn here to, we're going to turn here to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to learn three things today as we go into Matthew 25. I know you see it there. That's great. We're going to learn th three things. We're going to learn what's a talent, 
what talents can and should do, and third, how talents properly understood must change how we view our lives, God, and others. But let's read this today, starting in verse 14 of Matthew 25. For it is just like a man who is about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man, who earned two, the, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you, have, you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talents in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And now throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's holy word. So I said today, we're going to learn three things. Jesus tells this story at the end of what we talked about last week, this Olivet Discourse. He's on the Mount of Olives teaching about what is yet to come, the second coming. And so I want to set the scene for you as to what you've just heard. Jesus has entered Jerusalem for the final stages of his ministry before he goes to the cross of Calvary. It's all being set in motion. He's wept over Jerusalem and the disobedience, the lack of understanding, the hearts that have not been transformed and what he knows is coming at the cross. The judgment that the people will place upon him, the righteous son of God. And yet he understands the eternal significance, the grace and the hope and the mercy he's come to offer even in the midst of that. And so this parable comes at the end of this where Jesus is talking about the second coming that he wants his people to be faithful, to be productive until he comes again. And what does that look like? That's what Jesus is teaching. And he's going to teach in this parable today three things again that we're going to learn about. What is a talent? What talents can and should do? And third, when talents properly understood or applied how they should change our view in our lives, our relationships, how they should change us in terms of our relationship with God, our relationships with others around us, and how they should just change us 
in light of those things. So we're going to learn about that this morning. And Jesus teaches this story. The scene is set, and it's something we understand. It's something anybody can understand even in our world today. A wealthy and powerful man, he's going on a trip, and he leaves his servants. He entrusts them with something, some talents. We're going to learn more about those in a minute. And the master is going to return someday to check on what has been happening in his absence. It's a pretty straightforward story, and there's a sense of responsibility. He's entrusting them with something precious. Uh, I remember as a, a teenager, I must have been, I think, about 16 or somewhere around that age, and my parents went away for a weekend, and uh, it was my first time really home alone like that as a teenager, and my parents reminded me, now make sure you behave yourself. It was uh, this time of year, the weather was nice, and they said, you know, don't do anything crazy, and we had a pool, and uh, I invited a few friends over, but my parents knew about that, that was fine, but then they invited friends, and suddenly they invited friends, and before you know it, there are girls in bikinis and loud music, and all kinds of things are potentially going to happen, and I'm running around doing damage control, and everything turned out okay, that nothing horrific happened, it didn't turn out to be a, a bad situation, but of course, the grumpy old lady down the street, who always kept tabs on me, she had nothing to do but watch me out the windows of her house, she had to call my parents when they got back, and I had to give an account for every moment of time that they were gone. They didn't know every single person who was there, and what did and didn't happen, and they were, they were not happy, and it all worked out, and it was fine, but if you're like me, I'm sure you had a moment like that, whether it was when you were young with a parent or grandparent, or maybe with a supervisor or a boss at work, or a teacher, or a coach, or someone like that, and I don't know, but you weren't sure, you know, you hadn't done anything wrong, but you weren't sure how it was going to work out, because you didn't know if they would uh, believe you or not, or understand the circumstances of your situation, and those, in, those interactions, those decisions, the resources you use, the opportunities you had, and maybe what you choose to do with those, those, uh, good or bad, you had to take measure, you had to give an accounting for those things, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this situation, being accountable. These servants, these employees of this master, they have to give an accounting. They're given different holdings while the master is away. And as we understand the scene here, let's learn a little bit about what is really at stake here in verses 14 through 18 of Matthew 25. Because as we see, he did not entrust them all with the same amount. They were given different amounts in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like that. The kingdom of heaven is not somewhere where everyone gets all the same things, whether it's opportunities, gifts, abilities, resources, but we're accountable for what we're given. Let's look here at starting in verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. That's interesting. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
Okay, we have three different servants with three different amounts entrusted to them. And as we see in the scripture, the master was judging them according to what he thought they should have and what they should handle. So he doled them out talents according to that. And he's going to go, it's a journey. This is not a sheets run or a target run or something like that. He's going to be gone for an extended period of time. And this fits what we learned last week in the parable of the bridesmaids. He's going to be gone for a while. He's not going to be back in the near future. An extended time until that second coming. Remember, that's what Jesus is teaching about here in Matthew 25. And once again, the master, as often we see in these parables, obviously represents the Lord. That's who he represents. And he's giving extraordinary trust to his servants because all of his possessions are being divided up from what we can read here in the original language between them. They're given different amounts according to their abilities, but this is everything the master has. He's entrusting all of his affairs, all of his wealth to these servants. So what in the world is a talent? In the ancient world in antiquity, what is a talent? Well, it's a measure of both mass and weight equal to about one cubic foot. And of course, volume like that is measured in liquid, so we translate that as best we can. But this is an ancient measurement, like I said, it's from antiquity, Mesopotamian culture, Greek culture, Roman culture. They all understood Egyptian culture, all understood this measure of a talent. Basically, a cube squared equaled a talent. So weight and mass, and it usually was used in reference to precious metals, silver, or gold. So how much was a talent? What was that worth in that world? Now in today's world, it would depend. It depends on the purity of the metal, and we don't have the exact measurement because obviously through antiquity, there's a a little bit of variance. It could have been as little as $600,000. That would have been the minimum per talent. But if you think about it, it could have also been in terms of our measurements. So if a talent is about 50 kilograms, 110 pounds, and the price of gold when it closed this Friday in our nation was $58,057.77 per kilogram. So when you do the math on that, a talent of gold in today's terms could be worth as little as $600,000 or as much as $2.9 million plus in today's world. So that's what a talent represented. Think about that. Your ground floor is $600,000 or almost $3 million potentially. So we'll go in today's real world terms. So imagine that that was nearly $3 million per talent entrusted to these folks. That's more than any high stakes um, game show on TV in today's world, but that's what each was entrusted. Even the servant that only got one, well, you only get just shy of $3 million. Make sure you're responsible with that. But think about the other servant. You know, he's got $15 million he's dealing with, pretty much. I mean, think about that. That's, that's crazy. But think about that word. We know what it is now in antiquity. What is a talent to us? We don't use a talent to measure. We don't measure gold and silver. We measure it by ounces and pounds and things like that in today's world. But how do we use that term talent? Because a talent in the ancient world was the most precious thing you had. What do we call a talent? What do we think of when we think of the word talent in today's world? Because from antiquity, words have importance. We see this time and time again out of God's word. Talent for us. 
the most precious things, the most unique things we all have. No matter who we are, each one of us understands that talents are the gifts and abilities that have been entrusted to us by the Lord. We all have these unique gifts and abilities that God has entrusted to us. Our Creator gave them to us, and He meant us to put them to use. From the very beginning in God's Word, we see this when God creates man and woman. Genesis 2.15, look here. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. From the very beginning, God is giving us responsibility. He's the master. He's the creator. He uniquely equips us and places us in situations where we have, both within us and around us, talents, gifts, abilities, opportunities. And these talents, they're something that God gives us because he loves us. He loves us. We're going to talk today about what those talents could and should do for those servants. And we're going to learn a little bit about us. And like those servants in this story, as they receive these wonderful gifts from their master, they're responsible for us. As people, we have the same responsibility because God has created uniquely you and I and given us these talents because he loves us and he has purposes for us. So because of that, we can say clearly that our talents, our gifts, our opportunities, they are all products of God's grace, of his unique and specific love for us, for all of us as people. Does that mean that God loves some of us less or more than others, depending on how much material stuff we're born with? No, that's not necessarily true, but we're responsible for it. But God places us uniquely in circumstances to which he will use us to build up the kingdom around us. Talents are products of God's grace. They belong to him. He entrusts them to us. Therefore, they are not ours. They are not for our own sake. And what these servants did to receive these talents is pretty simple. They did nothing. The master judged them. They were his servants and it wasn't because he thought they were extra special. He was trusting them according to the abilities that he discerned in them, the opportunities he discerned with them. Were they going to earn more with them or were they not? What were they going to do with them? But he gave them, they were all gifts of grace. He gave them those talents and entrusted them for a purpose. And they had a responsibility to take their talents and to put them to work. That's what God has always done with people from the Garden of Eden. He's told us to put our talents to work, not for our own sake, but for the master's sake and for the master's purposes. And that's what God is teaching here clearly. Now stop and think for a moment in your own life. The talents you have the opportunities, the gifts, the abilities, the relationships. Um, maybe you have trouble thinking about those and you probably have more talents and abilities than you even recognize. In fact, I would be sure that you have talents yet, even in your life. I don't care if you're 98 years old, you have talents you have probably just now discovered. And as your life has changed and you've grown, you've honed and developed new talents and new abilities, even as some other talents have diminished. Maybe you're physically not as capable as you are, but you have wisdom. God throughout our life will develop and cultivate new talents. We're always learning how we can use our gifts and our abilities. Wisdom gained sometimes the hard way in life, but that's still, it's a gift of God's grace and we can put it to work. 
our skills, our personalities, our families and friends, our accomplishments, and then others come to us and say, hey, you've done this. Can you help me with that? All of those things can be put to work for God's glory. Now, that is not to say we all have the same talents or the same abilities. If you've ever been an athlete or a musician and you see someone who's in an orchestra or someone who's a professional athlete, however good you may have been, maybe you weren't that talented. Maybe you were. What are you doing with what God has entrusted to us? You have different abilities as we're all a part of the body of Christ. We're not supposed to have the same giftedness or even the same gifts. That wouldn't work. If you want to learn more about the body of Christ, you can look at 1 Corinthians 12 this week. If you want to jot that down, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ and reminds us we all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. The question is, what are we going to do with them? And there are passages throughout God's word that reminds us about this, like uh, Romans 12, 6, whatever we're given, according to the grace, again, these are gifts of grace. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts and we are called to use it, use those gifts according to the proportion of one's faith. So God has entrusted us all with gifts, with talents, with abilities, these precious, unique things that make us who we are. And those talents, we're supposed to develop them, and God is going to use them in our lives, in our world, and we're supposed to offer them to change the world as the church. Remember, we're the church, God's people. We are to use those gifts and talents. We're to offer them all to God, and he will use them and use us to change the world around us for that kingdom of heaven, that kingdom of redemption. And the funny thing is, as we use those gifts, as we use those abilities, those opportunities, those material resources, all of those things, that in turn changes us and it grows us in our faithfulness. And that in turn develops our talents and we are more faithfully able to use them. It's a symbiotic, it's kind of a repetitive motion. It gains momentum the more we do it in our lives where God's spirit works in us and we work with God's spirit in the world around us. And that not only grows us in ability, but also in faithfulness. It grows us in faithfulness. And that's what we see here in this story. How our talents are meant to change lives and change relationships both of others and of us, when we use them according to God's call, God's heart, the master's desires, things happen that are good. What we're saying here quite simply is our talents change lives, ours too, and they change them through our, through our relationships, both with God, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, and also with others. So our talents, our abilities are meant to change lives and to draw us closer to God and to draw other people closer to God as well. That is why we are entrusted with all these things. And as we see here in the story, we have these servants who are described, and we have three very different servants. They're entrusted with different talents, different abundances of, but they're all abundant. I mean, think about that. They're all given these abundant blessings, just as we all, even if we don't recognize it, have abundant gifts and opportunities. And yet there are three very different understandings and responses as the master is on his journey. Verses 21 through 23, let's look at that. His master said to him, the first one, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master 
is joy. So the first servant, that's the response he gets. And the second as well. The man with two pound talents approached, the first one with five and the second one with two. And he says, you gave me two, I've earned two more. First guy earns five more, this guy earns two more. And what's the master say to him? He says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. So the first two, first guy gets five talents. And notice as you read in God's word, if you're looking at that passage at home, immediately he goes to work. Immediately that first guy goes to work and look what happens. He makes five more and the second guy, the same way, he makes two more. And think about what happens there. They had both doubled the master's investment. They had 100% gotten out of it what the master had entrusted to them. That's what they had done. They had done 100% of amplification. It's important for us to catch here. The master says to both of them, well done. You are good and faithful. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to entrust you with more. So many times in our lives we say, why isn't God giving me this? Why won't God let me have that? And sometimes I really believe, as God's Word is teaching here, it's because He wants us to be as faithful and as productive as we can be with what we have. That's the danger of what we call the prosperity gospel. We think God's here to give us stuff, but when we want those things, they're usually for our sake. And God's saying, no, I want you to use it for my kingdom, for my sake. And when you do that, I'm not only going to bless you that it's going to be productive, I am going to entrust more for you because your heart is going to be in the right place. Now, is this about money and material things? It absolutely is. But it's not just about that. It's about that and so much more. Knowing that God is the master, knowing that he is entrusting this to us, knowing that we're talking about the second coming. Don't we want to hear him someday, no matter whether we've been given this much or in abundance, don't we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we all long to hear when we stand in Christ's presence, when our life is reviewed, when it's looked at? Yes, I gave you all these opportunities and look what you did with them. You did a great job. That's what we all long to hear. And he wants us to understand that all of these things belong to him. Your stuff, your lives, your gifts, your abilities, your opportunities, what you've learned even the hardships and how you have learned the difficulties of life, the hard ways where God shapes us, all of those things can be a blessing and God wants us to use him as a part of his kingdom. And that should all lead us to understand what these first two servants understood. None of this, none of this, all of this belongs to us. None of it is yours. None of it is mine. Not one dollar you have, not one moment of your life, not one breath that you breathe this day or that I breathe belongs to us. We are servants and we serve a heavenly master. I don't care if you have $10 in your bank account or $10 million. I don't care if you're 103 or if you're five months old. Your life was meant to glorify God and to call other people to know him. Your life, it belongs to the master for the good of the world and for the advance of the master's agenda. Not mine and not yours. And you and I will someday, when the master returns, be held accountable for what we've done with what he has entrusted to each of us.
we see this with the last servant starting in verse 24 because that servant has a completely different understanding of the master, of himself, and of the world around him. Remember, we said we're going to learn what a talent was and what we were supposed to do with that. We've done that. But when he, how we understand that in terms of talents properly used, properly understood, they affect us, our relationship with God and with others, and they affect then who we are. You could say almost our relationship with ourselves, but who we are, all of that is affected. And notice here that this servant has the wrong understanding of the master, the wrong understanding of themselves, the wrong understanding of the talents entrusted to them and what it meant. Starting in verse 24, everything we talk about today is redefined by this last servant. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. Now think about that. He's saying to the master who represents God, I know that you have high expectations and you're, you're a go-getter. You're going to go out and you're going to find a way. You know, you're the guy who squeezes blood from a stone, master. You're the one who gets things done. And, you know, I, that, that just, I, I didn't want to be, I didn't know what to do with that. So I, I really was thinking about saving my own skin, not about you, because you're a tough guy to deal with. God, your expectations are pretty harsh. You expect a lot from me. Now, that was certainly the view of the Pharisees, but is that really who God is? I would challenge you, that's not who God is. But if we misunderstand God, if we misunderstand what he gives us, if we think that he's just a harsh God looking to judge us, we're going to live a life out of fear. That's what you see in this servant. He is living a life out of fear. He's holding it all inside. And look what the master says to him for this. In verse 26, he replies to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, he said, why, why would you do that? If you know me, if you think I'm tough, why wouldn't you work harder? Why wouldn't you give more? Even if you think I'm that kind of a master, why would you, why would you do it that way? So what does that servant do? He buries everything entrusted to him. He digs a hole in the ground, he throws it in. Now that we know what a talent is, now that we know what we're supposed to do with it, think about what Jesus is teaching that crowd and teaching us today. When you live for yourself, when you look at God as harsh and somewhere out there, and maybe he's going to come back and you know, he's just, he's just going to be mad at me. So you know what? Forget it. I'm going to do what I want. How many of us, because we either act like we're afraid or don't want to think about it or just think, you know what, God's tough, so I'm just going to make the best I can, you know, for my sake. That's just, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. I'm just, best. I'm just going to try to, you know, slide through life here and look what the master says to that servant. He says to him, would you at least put it in the bank, put it in a CD and get me some interest? Do something. Would you do that much? That talent, that ability, that giftedness, that wealth of abundance that was given to that servant, that servant did nothing with it. And he's convicted. He was so busy blaming the master and worrying about himself or herself that the servant achieved nothing according to the master's wishes. The servant's heart wasn't changed. We know what talents are. 
we know what we're supposed to do with that. What are your talents? What are you going to do with them? You're not going to bury them in the ground. Are you doing that with something God's entrusted to you? It might be something you don't even think about. Maybe you like to organize stuff. Maybe you like to coupon or maybe you like to go camping, whatever it is. Whatever it is, God has given you those abilities that he can be glorified through them. This is what we think of in our lives, the old Christian idea of calling or vocation. God has uniquely called you to a ministry. Maybe you're mechanically inclined or you just like to talk to people or you love to visit with people and chat with them. God wants to use all of those things to build his kingdom for his glory and he's going to use them to love you as well. Those talents, those opportunities have been entrusted to you to build the master's kingdom to all of us, to build it till he comes again. Do we recognize that all of this is for God and his glory to call others to him or like that last servant, do we think it's all about us? Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, has a great quote about this and about how we can make our God something other than God. And when our God isn't the real God, we're going to look at him as something else and look at our lives in some other way, like that last servant. If our hearts get out of whack, if they get unaligned with God, we miss all this. Look what Keller says. More than other elders or other idols, pardon me, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God. It's all about us. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap, means no one, like, no one is like you. You are supreme. That last servant, it was all about them. It was all about them. They didn't have time for what the master had. In fact, you know, the master entrusted all this stuff, but you know what? They weren't going to risk it, so they buried all that was given them, like digging a hole in the ground and throwing it in. What kind of servant are we? Are we the kind of servant who understands that we have been blessed with abundance, no matter how much or how little we have? We are entrusted with that to do our very best with it. And when we do that, God will bless us and give us more in everything so that we can continue to bless others and draw them to know him. But we have to step out in faith. We have to understand that he is God and he's entrusted that to us for a purpose. And if he's entrusted it to us, we're accountable for those things to him. And one day he will hold us accountable. He has called us to do something with those opportunities. And the answer for us today, that we must answer the call. The question is, will we answer the call that God has placed upon us as his servants. Will we answer that call? This is about more than your tithe and your calendar and your bank account, but it is about those things. It's about those things. So many people say, you know, I hope these churches make it through right now. You know why churches aren't going to make it? Because when times get lean and times get tough, you find out what people's hearts and priorities are. Nonprofits, businesses, the time that's not being given, the resources that are not being given, that shows where your heart is. That shows where my heart is, all of us. I'm not here to judge you, but God has blessed us and held us accountable. We are a church, a group of people that are to be servants to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And I believe that God is going to continue to bless this church because what our world needs today is a church in action. That's what it needs this day. 
We have to be all in together. We have to be answering that call. We have to be doing the work of the church now more than ever with all that we have been uniquely been gifted with, each one of us. We have a mission to make disciples, to call other people to know Jesus. Friends, the question today, will we take whatever has been entrusted to each one of us, will we use it for God's glory? Will we amplify it? Will we draw all of it in so that he will use us as good and faithful servants so that someday when Christ returns, when he looks back at this church and at the church around the world, that he will say to us, well done good and faithful servants? That's a question, friends, we all must consider in our lives this week. All that we have, all that we are, all that we will be is for His glory. It's all His. What will we do with the kingdom of heaven entrusted to us? Will we give it to that false idol of personal success? Is it all about us? Or will it, all be, will it be all about the master this week Take time to think about how you can use your talents to complete the work of sharing Christ, of making disciples, even in some small way in your world. It's up to us, but I pray someday Christ will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, today, that we would understand what it means to belong to you. God, that we would understand what it means that we are your servants that we have been called and equipped to become the very hands and feet of redemption for the world around us. That we all have precious gifts and talents that you have given us, resources. Whether we have $50 in our bank account or $50 million, it doesn't matter. You've entrusted that to us and you expect a return on that for the kingdom and for you. God, it's not about what we have. It's not about what we don't have. It's about what we do with who we are and what we have today. Use us, draw us in to be your servants, good and faithful, that one day when we give account, we will see how the kingdom of God has been blessed and grown through our obedience to the master's call, to the great commission, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.